Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an entitlement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Find out more about the travel plans for the summer a bit later on. According to the papers this morning, if you're fully vaccinated, you'll be able to travel by the end of July to a number of Mediterranean hotspots. Now, the Coogan clan is staying at home again this year. We'll be staying on the island of Ireland this year. Not not by choice. You kind of say, well, not going to chance it this early in. But it's good news if you had a plan made and you want to get out. Well, hopefully by the end of July, you will be able to go. We'll be taking a look at that. Also, what is happening with the pubs? Do we know when you'll be able to step inside out of the piddling rain to have a pint? Or will we have to sit with the rain dripping into our Guinness for the whole summer? What is the story? Uh, try and catch up on that too uh, uh, this morning. And plenty, plenty more besides. I don't know how you slept last night. I had one of my best night's sleep in, in a while. I don't suffer from insomnia, thankfully. But what I do find is every so often, well, not every so often, pretty much every work night, I head off to bed and then I'm guaranteed to wake at least once between, say, half two and half four. I get up at about ten to six, so... If it's half four, then too bad. But if it's half two, I might struggle to get back to sleep again. So we'll get to that later on. What do you do when you can't sleep? What do you do when you wake up? Um, it might be for the loo. You might be thirsty. You might just wake. You'll be staring at the flipping ceiling. What do you do? Um, we'll we'll chat about that a bit later on. Plenty, plenty, plenty to get through between now and midday. On the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. The pubs, the guidelines are look like they're ready to come come out. Yesterday, the indoor pubs opened again uh, north of the border. And then in Germany, they're open today outdoors. The whole of Europe seems to be opening up gradually now. 
at this stage. Let us go to Hamburg, and I always struggle with the pronunciation of this. I hope I've it right. The K- Fleet and Kicker Irish Bar in Hamburg. Audrey, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Correct pronunciation. Great, I got it at last. <laughs> <laughs> You're open today. Is it street street only, or are you able to come in? Uh, no, we're only open outside. We actually, Hamburg actually opened officially on Saturday, but we decided because the weather was so bad and still is so bad, we would just leave it go for the weekend. It was a bank holiday here yesterday. We didn't open either yesterday. And so today, three o'clock, we are ready to go. You answered my first question before I had a chance to ask it. What is the weather like? Absolutely atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> but... I really don't think people care. Like what I witnessed on Saturday, I went to a restaurant across the street from the pub. Uh, I got caught in rain three times. Uh, the umbrella that was covering us nearly fell over twice. But it, people didn't care. They were outside. They were eating the food that they didn't have to cook. Yeah. I, I have to say I take a small bit of solace from what you're saying about the weather because I thought we were the only poor devils at this stage getting rained on and cold and everything. But is it unseasonable for, for oh, Hamburg? It's Oh, absolutely. Hamburg had its wettest April in 30 years. And May isn't much better. Freaky. I mean, I'm, I'm taking my winter coat now out again to go to work. God. So opening outside, it really isn't the thing in this weather, is it? It's, it's going to be a challenge, you know, um, because we officially don't have an official outside area. Because the pub is in a very old building in the cellar. So we're downstairs. We don't have windows. We don't have a terrace. So what the city have allowed uh, places like us to do is take car parking spaces on the street and turn them into a terrace. Right. I don't know if you've seen our picture uh, online. I like it, actually. My question is, I'm wondering, would you be allowed to do that? here in Cork quite so easily yeah. like did you have to get yeah. licenses for those tables we or what? Did. We, had to, we did we had to apply to the city then the police had to approve it then we had to get somebody else to approve it and then it had to come back and then we had to pay for those those barriers you see around the seating area mm. um, and we have that now until the middle of October and have we had assistance with that money or with that pay, with that cost? Yeah, the city um, were very good at the start, um, but since January, um, not so good, like speedy with giving us what we're what we're due. Your 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 basically your rent your fixed costs are covered. Eighty percent mm. of your fixed costs are covered. Right now, in terms so, of comparing it to where we are here, where is Germany in terms of the return to normality? Um, down south is much has been much faster than up north. Um, vaccine rollout, they're on. We're Hamburg is on its third priority group, right. which means from the seventh of June, they, anybody can go and apply for one. But the major problem we're having here is getting an appointment. It is proving literally impossible. Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, have you yeah. had a chance to get vaccinated yet? No, I haven't. My daughter is double vaccinated because she works for the health authorities here. No. Um, my husband is one time vaccinated. He gets his next one at the middle of June, I think it is. Mm. Um, but now what the Restaurant Association of Hamburg is pushing for is that um, gastronomy people 
bartenders, restaurant workers, etc., etc., they should be next in line to get it if the industry is going to open. Now, it looks like we'll be able to go on foreign holidays again or foreign trips by the end of July, assuming we're all fully vaccinated. Um, Mm -hmm. Germany... Like, you need tourists. You are a, Hamburg is a great city for tourists. You need them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, us as a pub, we depend on tourists at the weekend. Mm. They are our business Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we will see a big, a big drop in, in, in that, you know, between now and the end of the year. Mm. I mean, I can't, I can't see us going inside for inside dining, drinking until September, to be honest with you. Really? I think they're going to leave us outside as long as they can. Now, if the summer warmed up to normal, that wouldn't be too bad, would it? No, that wouldn't be too bad at all. I mean, the you know, it does make a difference. The weather does make a big difference. And on the side of the street that we are, we have the sun right up to 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. So we're lucky like that. Mm. So... Um, and if the day is warm, the evening's warm, which, which helps as well. So you're saying it could be September before you, before you get a move in, inside. That, that's slow. So like, th- there seems to be the impression among some people here, Audrey, that we're the slowest and the most careful in the world. But actually, we're not. They're not even looking at indoor before September, you're saying no. to me. No. Come to Hamburg and you'll see slow. <laughs> really? Like, how long are you yeah. closed now? Seven months, next week. Right. And in the last... Since all this started, for how long have you been able to be open? Um, we opened middle of May and we got until September, end of September, October. That's when we were open, so basically like for the summer. Right. And then we were closed again, end of October, start of November. Yeah. So I spoke to you around Christmas time and you'd closed and there was no sight of anything coming back for months. So you're closed no, since before was, Christmas. Yeah, we are, yeah. Yeah. No, there was no sight of anything. And the incident numbers are actually quite good at the moment. Touch wood. Mm. They're 38.7 per 100,000. That's and very low want, compared yeah, to here. I mean, still, we're still yeah. 100 and something per 100,000 here, you know? That's very and low. We have, yeah, we have a population of almost 1.8 million in Hamburg. So, and there was, yes, there was 68 new infections. So that is overall numbers-wise, that's pretty, pretty good. It is very good. It is very And there is a regionalisation of of it in Germany is there oh, no much bigger country and all that because uh, for example there's I'd say there's a third if not half the country in Ireland at the moment is almost COVID free and yet we're on the same level of restrictions up and down the country that's not the, the case in Germany well um, as I said down south is has opened up quicker and dropped their restrictions quicker but as soon as some Bundesländer um, Bundesländer uh, towns, sorry, um, they have opened up too fast, their numbers have doubled and they've been closed down again. I see, I see. So, so they're, they're quite they're quick to close you down. If it goes up again. If, if it goes up again. Yeah. Because if our, as soon as, as long as our numbers stay under 50, you don't have to have a test to come to a restaurant or a pub. But if our numbers creep back up again over 50, unfortunately, we'll have to be testing. So Which would you don't want to do? Yeah, like would that be antigen testing before you get to serve me my dinner or something? Uh, yeah, you would have to prove a negative test before you step onto the terrace. Yeah, crikey! And that's oh, if it gets over fifty per hundred thousand, that's where they'll go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's okay. if you want to go to a shop, 
if you want to go get your hair cut. Well, I think you have to actually, you have to get a test to get your hair cut anyway at the moment. Okay. But, yeah. So that actually makes these restrictors, restrictions tougher than ours. Yeah. Uh, are there masks yeah. everywhere still? Masks everywhere and only the medical masks and the FFP2 white masks. Cloth masks aren't allowed anymore. Oh, not uh, nowhere? Wow. No, nowhere. And are they, are they compulsory in the streets? Uh, yes, in oh. the city centre. If you're obviously in your own, like where I live here, I don't have to wear one. But if I, I go into the little supermarket or the shopping centre near my house, I have to wear one. And it's got to be a medical grade one or an FFP. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Audrey, when are we going to get a point in Cronin's, do you think? Oh, crikey. I don't know. <laughs> I hope at the end of the year. Hopefully. And hopefully we'll be able to greet out of the cold. <laughs> I'll take a bank anywhere. Out of any vessel. I don't care. Yeah. Now, will so, he, will, will, for all this information, we, we owe you a drink anyway. <laughs> uh, Good luck today, Audrey. Because I know, you know so we keep in contact a little bit. And, and you know, you're one of our own. You're, you're from, from Crosser. Out there yes. running a business for how many listening. Absolutely, it's and we 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 thank you and you've you've reminded us because there is this nonsense out there that we have the the harshest strictest blah blah blah. We don't. We don't know anything about it. And I've been saying it for Trust months. Me. I've been you saying don't. it for months. All right, listen, Audrey. Good luck today, and I hope I hope it goes well for you. Thank you very much, PJ. Cheers. That's that's uh, Audrey Leaves. She's from Crosshaven. Runs the Fleet and Kicker Irish Bar in Hamburg. You can follow her on Twitter, Irish Girl Abroad, and you will get a honest appraisal of how restrictions really are. Like this old horse manure about the toughest and the longest in the district. It's BS. Absolute BS. Compared to other parts of of Europe uh, like if they they are currently on 38 per 100,000 in her region 38 per 100,000 nationally we're on about, I think it's about 114 or 150 I'm a couple of days out of date with me stats because the flipping cyber hack has goosed everything but certainly we're well over 38 per 100,000 and if it goes over 50 you need a test to go to, the, to, to go to the restaurant you need a test to go here there and everywhere an antigen test that is not to not a PCR. So good luck to them today. Good luck to them today. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96fm.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quirks 96fm music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. We'll find out more about how soon we might be able to get over to Hamburg to have a pint in the Fleet and Kecker, or anywhere uh, in a little while. Uh, the plans are certainly afoot, as it were, but they're not happening fast enough for the airline industry, and they're certainly not happening fast enough for the travel trade. But, well, they've got their interests.
And we've got to be commonsensical about it as well. So we'll get back to that in a while. But first of all, a terrible story yesterday about that family, that lovely family, the Sings. Uh, they're living in direct provision. They gave out thousands of handmade masks, just gave them out for free during the pandemic, just to, to do something nice for the city. And, and they they got into the newspapers and everything. Lovely people, lovely, just gentle people who live in direct provision. And, well, their dad, Raminder, bought a bike for his son, a lovely bike, an electric bike, and that bike was stolen in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, Kerry McCarthy's head of operation for the Recruit Refugees Group. We've spoken to Kerry before. Hi, Kerry. Hi, how are you? Hi. This was a, a nasty, pernicious theft. Bike was on George's Key. Yeah, yeah, it's really unfortunate because um, obviously they would have saved for quite a while to, to buy the bike. Mm. Um, and I mean, bikes go missing all the time, but it just it felt particularly awful because of the fact that they live in direct provision. Mm. And they'd, they'd, have, they'd have scrimped and scraped to get that yeah, few exactly. quid together. Yeah. Yeah. So you decided, look, let's see what we can do. Let's see, can we get a GoFundMe together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was fairly confident that if we got the word out there that the community would get behind them because um, Ireland just tends to be like that. And we had the platform with Recruit Refugees, so um, we got their permission and we set up the GoFundMe. And yeah, within about four hours, we had raised over €1,500 Euro for them. And it's 1500 was the target, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. And the fair play to, to Cork people. They they came good because they realised these are decent, nice people and they wanted to help them, which is which is family, fabulous. How are the family reacting to the news that, look, we can sort it? Um, they were quite emotional, I think. Um, they, they'd be very humble. Um, and they didn't ask us to do this. We, we just kind of offered. Um, but yeah, they were very emotional that everyone got behind them and raised the money for them. Yeah. Now the bike is still missing, obviously, um, pro- probably never to be seen again, unfortunately. But it's been, it's you've got the funds to re- to replace it now, which which is great. Uh, and I, I think they were held. They really, they were the people took to them when they decided. Look, we know how to make masks. We're going to make them and give them out for free, just to give something back to the city that has welcomed us. Yeah. Exactly. Um... It was just—it was really kind of them last year to be giving out the masks. Um, I think like over two thousand masks or something like that, um, and had handmade masks as well. Um, and I think, I mean, the community just recognises that they're good people, yeah. um, and they they gave to their community, so the community gave back to them. Which is which is really lovely, and it's what we do here in Cork. We're so good at it, as we discovered again over the weekend with the Radiothon. You have another fundraiser, I think, Kerry, coming up soon that you wanted to mention. Yeah, we do. Um, at Recruit Refugees, we have a project called Windows for Opportunity, and we raise money to buy laptops for people living in direct provision. Um, we've got about 600 people waiting for a laptop at the moment. Um, so we have a fundraiser called 38 Kilometres for Windows for Opportunity. And people can just sign up on our website and they go 38 kilometres, whether they want to run it or walk it or whatever, um, and raise money throughout the month of June. Okay. And where can people find out more? They can find out on recruitrefugees.ie. Okay.
All right, look, good luck with that, Kerry, and good work with that GoFundMe for the Singh family. So they got the cost of the bike back, and that'll be sorted for them, which which would which is great. And that other fundraiser for recruit recruitrefugees.com. dot com eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Here's a query: Caller wants to know if the gun's supposed to go to a vaccine at the Parky Queeve Centre. Limited mobility. Is there a lift to the second floor? There is. The last time I was in Croke Park, it's a while back. It's a while back. We were there there that last year, or 2019 rather. We're there 2019. They have an extensive lift system in there to get you open. Did I say Croke Park? Thank you. Parky Creeve, of course I meant Parky Creeve. Yeah, they have an extensive lift system. And as soon as you present yourself there to the security team, they'll show you where to go. But yes, you can absolutely. You can absolutely, yeah, the real Croke Park stop though. Himself, Fer- Fer- Fergal is in smart arse humour this morning. So I'm going to have all sorts of corrections on my screen, which is probably no harm. 1850-715-996. On the bikes, Kate says there are now so many being stolen, it's worth taking a photo, uh, have the serial number and put your postcode on it. Yeah, if you put your air code, although if you live in direct provision, well, you have an air code. Brick Vision Centre has an air code. If you've got the air code engraved on the barrel of the bike or somewhere on the bike that only you know where it was, then the bike's identifiable. That's a good idea, Kate. Thank you. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, the papers are full of speculation this morning on when people might be able to travel abroad again for a summer holiday. On the Examiner, Danny McConnell and Paul Hosford are writing that fully vaccinated people will be able to travel to Mediterranean hotspots by the end of July without the need to quarantine. The EU Digital Cert will allow travel within the EU 27 and the need to quarantine will be set aside based on vaccination rates. Portugal, Spain, France, Italy won't expect Irish tourists to isolate when they come back. So it's a significant development. That's the examiner reporting. And we have a plan announced on Friday focused on a number of areas, including international travel. But the Independent is reporting that there could be a problem there because, fine, the vaccination passport and vaccination passes or whatever you want to call them, that's going to become a thing towards the end of June, end of July. But the HSE and the Department of Health, of course, will have to issue the things. And so their IT infrastructure is up to jacksy at the moment. So 
the Irish Independent is reporting this morning that that may slow everything down. Now, yesterday, airline pilots mounted a protest in Dublin saying they want to get back to work, they want to get back flying, so it's imperative that this EU digital cert gets rolled out ASAP. Owen Corry is the editor of Air and Travel magazine. Owen, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. So, anybody who wants to go on a foreign holiday this summer should be able to do so by the end of July, as long as, as it's to an EU country and they're fully vaccinated. Does that sum it up? Pretty much, and the, it's not that complicated, really. What will happen is from June, around June the 7th, Spain will open, but July the 1st is the date Europe will hold to. Um, the international travel will open up, the Green Cert will be implemented, and the only clear thing about the Green Cert is that it fully vaccinated passengers travellers will be able to travel internationally without restriction but what will happen in Ireland is that we'll sit back wait and see have a look is it working and we'll row in four to six weeks later so when you see different dates in different publications that you've just read out it's people calculating from July the 1st how long it will take Ireland to follow suit But there is another major issue, PJ, that um, the vaccination is obviously being given to the older people first. Listeners will have seen those funny memes about grannies dancing on tables in Ibiza because they're the only ones uh, that are allowed to travel. But what happens for the 30-somethings, the 20-somethings, and more importantly, uh, teenagers over the age of six? it's quite likely that we will have a complicated situation where countries have different regulations and that a lot of them will still require a PCR test for people, including your teenagers, travelling on a family holiday. That's not so much the $6,000 question, it's the $89.99 question because that's how much it costs to get your PCR test from Randox at the airport. Yeah, You see, there's the thing, even if, for example mom and dad will be vaccinated, then the, the teenagers won't be at this point in time. So whatever rules are being placed for them, we don't know until you go there, essentially, or, 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 or try to book. Well, the other thing the European Union is trying to do is to uh, get rid of a situation where everybody has different rules. Some countries, it's 48 hours test, some it's 72, some of them say it's over 18, uh, some say it's over 16. In our case, it's over six. And that's what the Spaniards, who are our big, let's face it, Spain and Portugal are the big holiday destinations. That's what they're thinking of, uh, that under six will, no, won't need uh, a negative test or a vaccination. The question about vaccinating, and only 23% of Europe has been uh, got their first job and 11% has got their second job. That, those figures are rapidly rising right across Europe. But uh, we then run into the ethical question of uh, giving vaccinations to younger people mm. while Africa is still waiting for vaccinations. I don't think that we would see a situation where teenagers would be vaccinated. And that raises the question, uh, do people take this thing of maybe mom and dad are vaccinated, but we're go- certainly going to be testing um, the, the, the people in their late teens yeah. and possibly throughout their teens. And will it be PCR or is there an appetite for antigen? 
has a huge appetite for antigen. Uh, the antigen debate in Ireland is particularly negative towards antigen, but in Germany it's particularly pro-antigen. Um, but it, again, we have 27 countries with different regulations. We also have different vaccines in different countries. Uh, Hungary would have a very high um, percentage of people with the, um, the Sputnik uh, vaccination. And so a lot of some countries have used the Chinese, which haven't been cleared by the ECDC um, to Sputnik would be quite prevalent in Turkey, who is outside the European Union, but hoping mm. to be included in these measures. So we could have a situation where it's sort of a la carte. Uh, we've been awful lot in the last year. Could it be, Owen, I'm sensing a question here, could it be that some places, and I know the EU may want to operate a, a blanket set of rules, but, you know, not everybody will follow those to the letter. So could it be a case that you'd have to have one of the EU-approved vaccines? Very likely, and you've put your finger on it there. We, what happened last March is with 27 different countries running around in a panic, implementing their own measures. As soon as the Italian rates began to rise, everybody panicked. And while the European Union has been trying to put this notion that we are one community where 27 different, uh, par- uh, you know, shared economies within one community, that all fell apart last year and quite spectacularly in October when the European Commission came up with the traffic light system and the uh, Council of States then, um, it, when it, the document that went into the room bore no resemblance to the one that came out because each of the 27 mm. was going their own way. What the European Union had been sounding out in recent weeks is that they don't want to see that happen again. They want on July the 1st to have the green uh, certificate in place it's, um, and they want states to implement it uh, in within six weeks and not just pick out the bits that they like. And that is where we this will, whole scheme will either fail or uh, thrive. And it's quite, it's a, the technology is awesome, by the way, PJ. The technology is very straightforward. You get your certificate, you upload it, the QR code is then checked with the relevant health authority. And as you start, go through the gate, you scan your boarding pass. Listeners will be very familiar with that. You know, it just goes ding. Then you press, you, t- you tick your little Ryanair boarding pass. The COVID documentation pops up and you scan that QR code too. The whole thing which we all worried about, about managing sets of documents, is travel used to be very stressful with managing an awful lot of sets mm. of documents with passports and things like that. But now it, the technology has been quite spectacular. Well, 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 rolled, if yeah. I open my iPhone here and I open the wallet in it, for example, own. I yeah. mean, if I book a flight now, I need to do no more because it'll just come into my iPhone and my boarding pass will be there and a QR code to scan through as a boarding pass. Will my vaccine information be amalgamated into that? Uh, Funny you should say that because while it hasn't uh, amalgamated it yet, but it could actually happen. Ryanair have amalgamated it. You um, book your, you check in with Ryanair. Uh, it asks you to upload your COVID documentation, which at the moment will be your PCR test to get back into Ireland or to travel to the country like, like Spain or Portugal will require it. So you have your emails, usually PCR test result, um, and you upload that. 
and that comes in at the top of your boarding pass as a little separate button, COVID documentation, or it says COVID documentation not loaded, which is a red uh, alert to the check-in staff and to the people at the gate. But when your COVID is, lo- uh, is loaded, you, uh, pre- you all the, you do is just tap that okay. and up pops the QR code for the COVID. I travelled out for the big announcement by Pedro Sanchez that Spain is reopening um, in Madrid last week and that's uh, the, in my experience of travelling is it sounds a lot more complicated than it turned out to be. Right. Okay, because it was getting really easy. Just you needed your all you needed was your phone. Question from a listener: On what's the situation with the UK? Will we need vaccinations to go there? At the moment, the vaccination doesn't exist as far as the Irish government is concerned, and the advice is uh, that all but essential travel uh, is banned. Now, what the Irish government will have to, uh, in the first part of their timetable, is lift that ban on travel. Uh, asymmetrical is the phrase that I heard a few Tory MPs throw around the House of Commons because we don't need to, to self-isolate when we go to the UK. And what uh, we do on return, and you do need your PCR test on return, uh, you can book us over in Britain, but be very careful. The NHS... Um, test is not recognised by the Irish immigration authorities. In one case, we had really? 30 people. We had 30 people carted off uh, a flight from London for a mandatory hotel quarantine, not because they weren't tested, but because the NHS test is not recognised. The NHS test not recognised. That's weird. Well, it it's, it's hasn't been recognised by a couple of other European countries as well. But it, that 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 actually brings to into focus. The chaos Is that a Brexit thing around or? travel? No, no, not at all. No, it's the, it's the, it's under our COVID regulations that if you're not, if you don't have a, a test that's recognised by the Irish immigration, you mm. have to do your mandatory hotel. Ah, uh, yeah, but I'm just wondering why the NHS like wouldn't be recognised. That's that's bizarre in the extreme. Talk to me a bit first of about the state of the industry. We know the pilots protested yesterday. The IALPA union protested outside Leinster House. Like the 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 the, the industry, to be fair, is in rag order, isn't it, Owen? Pretty much, but you know it's recovered uh, to about thirty five, thirty six percent of its twenty nineteen levels across Europe. It's down about sixty five percent. What we've done is we've dug a trench that's a bit deeper. So our international connectivity is down about eighty five percent. The European, um, the air traffic control system, Eurocontrol, they list the forty countries each week and they relate the figures to twenty nineteen. And we are the most disconnected of those 40 countries, which is bizarre when you think we're an island. So we've done a lot of... COVID has done its fair amount of damage. We've done a lot more damage ourselves. And the that response of Aer Lingus and Ryanair would be to look at other countries that they can move their aircraft. Ryanair's uh, traffic went up 25% last week, for instance, because Portugal to UK routes opened up. So they're looking at placing aircraft elsewhere. Some of them, uh, they've announced new routes from Belfast. But I don't think, despite all the rhetoric, and you'll hear Michael O'Leary talking about useless methods and dithering politicians and all the usual phrases he uses, if we get the summer back up and running, it doesn't have to be exactly July the 1st with the rest of Europe, but six weeks later, end of July, into August, uh, the airlines will hold their shape. They already have the schedules in the, in, uh, in the system uh-huh. for this year, and 
they you've got a great you've got a good choice you've got good frequencies you've got good roots you've four new roots from Dublin even mm. and all of that's in shape from the aviation industry waiting for the government to raise the right. flag and let the runners off so so this there is a sort of a narrative being pushed out there that if we don't get back to Spain for our holidays this summer, we'll never get back there again from Ireland. That's not going to happen. It, it, okay, it's it's not a case of it, uh, you know, that in May of 2021, it's that dramatic. But there certainly are things that need to we need continuity on. We certainly need continuity on things like Cork Airport. We need to know that it's a viable operation that can be kept open and mm. kept serviced. And if we lose uh, summers after, you know, a second summer, all of those big questions come into play. Um, they, but the reality is that, they're, you know, as you say, um, it's, uh, the world is going to come to an end unless travel opens this summer. Um, it, it, bits, bits of it will get a bit frayed. But... Um, what you know, the, the aviation industry has put in, has decided is mm. to give us all the options and leave it ready for the off. Big decisions could be made, though. You know, by Aer Lingus, for instance. Yeah. When we entered this crisis, PJ, Aer Lingus, IAG had an Irish CEO, Willie Walsh, and an Irish, um, a Cork-born uh, CEO of Aer Lingus, Sean Doyle. Yeah. So when, now we have an English-born CEO of Aer Lingus and a Spanish. CEO of IAG, the same loyalties aren't going to be there. Things have changed. Big decisions to make, and proportionally, their losses were colossal. Well, lastly and briefly, on because obviously it's a big local uh, focus here, and I know that keeping your eye across the industry, you may have a take on it. We now know that the airport here in Cork is closing to have the runways redone for seven to ten weeks in the autumn. Is there concern across the industry about that closure? Seven to ten weeks won't make a big difference. Uh, the real issue for Cork is that it might be the only seven to ten weeks that they get any traffic if traffic is reopening. What they did was they moved things forward. The scheduled uh, re- uh, runway uh, refurb, you know, listeners will be very familiar with the argument here that they just moved it forward because traffic was down and it was a good time to move. The problem with everything in the public sector is that it, the procurement, there's European money, all of that, it's slow to get it going. It would have been lovely to have it gone done February, March when there was no flights. And that's what Ryanair was screaming and shouting about. But what Ryanair would do is just go in, build a runway in a weekend and then be in court with the regulators for four years to come. Uh, Cork Airport doesn't have that option. It's spending public money. So it travels at the pace it does. Yeah. It probably made sense, makes sense. Uh, we won't be running at high levels of capacity no matter what happens uh, in 2021 so it probably makes sense to brought that runway okay. forward. Quick question has come in from uh, Kevin, regular listener Owen, needs to go to London it's urgent, it's an emergency trip when he's coming back where does he procure a test? The, um, there, there are a couple of, uh, there's quite a few online agencies that do it within London. As I say, don't do an NHS. Make sure it's a PCR test. And I know that um, a colleague that uh, is in London for an NUJ uh, meeting has just done his uh, this morning in Knightsbridge. 
So there are the uh, there PCR tests um, facilities in a lot of places, including the airports. But the impro- a very important part of this is that a PCR test result often takes longer. So make sure you do it the day before and get it. It, it can be quite it's it's quite efficient when it works. You mm. get the email. Uh, on the morning of your flight, but there's no way you can actually appear in an airport without a PCR test and then suddenly start looking for it. So, so could he walk into somewhere like a Boots, for example, yeah, and ask? Um, a boots, boots are doing antigen tests. Antigen won't do it. It has to be PCR. Right. Um, and there are clinics that are doing it. Okay. All right. Okay, Owen, thanks very much. Owen Curry, editor of Air and Travel magazine. And uh, the word to Kevin, and I hope that everything will be okay, Kevin. I have a sense of what that trip is about. If you take any kind of a PCR test except an NHS one, I cannot get my head around that. I really can't get my head around that. You go for a private one that'll probably cost you uh, an arm and a leg. Kevin, because he lived in Bristol for years and years, probably has an NHS number and probably could get his PCR test on the NHS free but it won't be recognised here. He's got to get a private NHS or a private PCR test and pay through the nose for it. That bit, I'm sorry, that does not make sense for me. Is it a technical thing to do with the test? Is it a bit of science? Is it because we're pissed off over Brexit? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. So we're going to do a little bit of research and try to find out why it might be the case. Carlos says Boots in the UK do the PCR tests and they are to the Irish standards as well as several other standards. There may be a difference in standards. We're just going to try and research it a little bit. We also have some confirmation that when you go to Parky Cueve for your vaccine, they have very good mobility assistance for that person who was wondering earlier on. 1850-715-996. McBarry TD was in the news this morning uh, talking about that shutdown at the airport for 10 weeks between September and November. Aer Lingus workers, quite a number of them, are to be laid off for that period. One assumes they will be rehired. One assumes they will be rehired on their existing pay and conditions. But Mick, that assumption isn't enough for you. You want them kept on the books. Now, the first question is, who would pay for that? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, You're right uh, that I want them uh, kept on the books and that I'm concerned about um, what this might mean for the workers. Uh, I'm not the only one who is. I know that there are many uh, loaders, um, check-in staff, uh, cabin crew uh, out there, 200 workers in all, who have concerns about this. Now, the concerns are twofold. We'll get to the who pays in a second. The, the concerns are twofold. The first concern is, um, will people having been laid off for 10 weeks be rehired? Remember, these are people who've been kept on the company books. By September, it will be 17 months of a pandemic and now are being laid off for 10 weeks at the end of it. Or the other concern, which I think is a, is a very serious one, is will, will people be rehired and told you come back, but you have to give back some of the, um, some of the um, improvements and terms and conditions that you've won for yourselves down through the years? Now, what does industrial employment law say? Industrial uh, employment law means that um, once workers have been laid off, um, their position is is a weaker position. If the workers are kept on the books, they're in a much stronger position. So the issue of whether you're laid off or not is a big issue for those 200 workers. 
And as I say, they've been kept on the books for 17 months of a pandemic at that stage and then are being laid off for 10 weeks. That has to be a very serious concern for them. So are you saying the state should step in, i.e. the taxpayer should step in for the 10 weeks? Well, it's quite possible that the taxpayer will be... Well, if if the workers are uh, laid off, the taxpayer will be stepping in because the workers will be sent to sign on and it'll be the taxpayer who'll be paying for that. See the point I'm making? right? So what I'm saying is let's do it the other way around. It's quite possible that the state uh, will be... Uh, giving some funding to Aer Lingus between here and September. I'd like to see Aer Lingus back in state hands, re-nationalised, but if that doesn't happen between here and September, and it's not likely to, what I'm saying is the state should put conditions on any aid and assistance they give. But it can't, because Aer Lingus is now a private... It can't put terms and conditions on a private industry. If the state is providing uh, Aer Lingus with cash, it can say to Aer Lingus, we're going to sign off and give you the cash... But one of the conditions is you keep those workers on right. the book. We're writing to the CEO, we're writing to the Minister for Transport, and we're attempting to raise it on the floor of the doll. All right, well, we'll see where it goes, Mick. Thanks very much for that. That's Mick Barry, Solidarity TV for Cork, North Central. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. If you ever needed proof that the weather is unseasonably crap... Have you noticed there, there's hardly a butterfly around? I haven't seen one yet. And normally our back garden, we've loads of flowers and plants and plant boxes herself as a devil for her plants and flowers and stuff. We'd normally have butterflies of all kinds coming in. Not a butterfly to be seen so far. That's a sure indicator that, that, that the, the weather isn't what it should be. We did a bit of research, just a quick bit of research. We'll do more on this NHS PCR test which isn't recognised so if you're coming here from the UK the PCR test that the NHS does isn't recognised here now with a quick look at the Foreign Office website the UK Foreign Office website it says if you need a negative COVID-19 test to enter a country you should use a private test provider The NHS Test and Trace Service cannot provide the documents that you need. So, presumably what they are saying is you can go to your local NHS hospital and get a PCR test and that's fine. But we can't give you the paperwork that you then need to go to Ireland. Whereas if you go to a private clinic and we had a text in there about one private clinic. Where is that one that I saw mentioned anyway? We had to, was it the the Chelsea Bridge clinic in Battersea for example, you get a PCR test there, cost the bones of 200 quid but it is accepted here in Ireland because there's a rake of paperwork to come with it we'll we look more into this and see what else we can find out but at the moment coming back from the UK, an NHS PCR test won't do you you've got to get a private one and it's quite 
costly. 1857-15996. Pat was in touch again. He's travelling to England in September. He's hoping the need for a test will be gone by then. They cost more than 100 quid, quid each, way, each way. So it'll make for a very costly trip for two to England. Well, Pat, I think if we're all vaccinated, but then they may do away with the need for that. You would hope, wouldn't you? You really would. Do you know, it's it's getting busy again, as in life is getting busy again. Uh, Saturday mornings are getting busy again because there's ga and there's soccer and there's other stuff for the kids starting to come in. And, And all the other little jobs and bits and bobs that were on pause for months on end are all back. And beginning to realise now, do you know what? We were a bit overwhelmed with these things. Anyone with smallies were overwhelmed with these bits and pieces and things to be done here and stuff to be ready for there. And that. We were overwhelmed by that at the start of the pandemic. And it was only when we got into the pandemic that we realised how flipping overwhelmed we were. And we all probably resolved during the pandemic, well, we're never going back there again. We're going to relax a little bit, take life a little bit less seriously. And here we go again. As life starts to go back to normal, we're getting rushed around and overwhelmed again. England Seams, England Seam has been writing a piece in the Echo about this. She's the founder of Avenues Consultancy and Coaching, and she joins me. Ingrid, good morning. Hi, PJ, how are you? Good. So many people said to me, with smallies, thankfully I'm out of that bracket now, but so many people said to me, God, I don't know where I got the time. On a Saturday morning, I was run ragged. It was busier than the heaviest day at work. I'm never going back there again. And guess what? They're going back there. Exactly. And it's true what you said. I think we all thought we weren't going to. And I think it kind of hit us a bit with a bang because... You know, we were kind of looking forward to the sports and everything going back because, you know, it's it's good and um, it's a nice thing for the kids to do and we know they've kind of suffered uh, through lockdown because of it. But it still kind of took us by surprise though, didn't it? Like I kind of saw these kind of bewildered parents going, here we're at it again, <laughs> you know? And mm. it, it's, yeah, it's. Uh, I found myself thinking the same thing, although my, like, my kids don't even have that many activities, but uh, yeah, it it did that all that kind of time that we had that we quite enjoyed, really. You know, those kind of lazy Saturday mornings, walk in the park, proper breakfast. You know, yes, exactly. And then now it's all kind of logistics and rushing again. Yeah, it's, I was talking to a, a mate of mine at the weekend. I, I asked him, could he help me with a bit of, a bit of DIY? Um, mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, no problem. But I've got to collect. Some mum, son, son number one from rugby yeah. and drop son number two. <laughs> okay, that's grand. Take handy, it's grand. There's no problem. It won't take 10 minutes. What we need. But, but like, there's. And the post its, I laughed and I saw the picture. The post its are back on the yeah. wheels. They are, they are. And it's actually funny because the picture that was used in the Echo um, is a different one than I use in my presentation. So that shows you how many stock images there are of that particular image. It's, it's, it's kind of a universal thing. But yeah, I. I think I write about sitting in the car park of Corinthians and kind of almost had this mental image of all the posts just like drifting back onto my steering wheel, you know? Yeah. Now, and, um, life is yeah. busy and life with small children is busy by its mm. very, very nature. But mm. did the pandemic teach us, Ingrid, that we've allowed it to get too busy and we have forgotten that every so often you have to draw a halt to stuff? 
I would like to think that it did, but I think what we really need to do now is to not just rush straight back into the way it was because, you know, after all, that kind of is familiar too. That's how we lived before, you know, and it's very easy to just step right back into it. And we'd kind of, you know, we complain about it a bit and we go, oh, is this our life again now? But, you know, we can also just stop and go, does it have to be? And I think that's the pause that we kind of might need to just take right now before, you know, even more stuff reopen that how do we actually want to live? You see, it's an interesting Um, balance, isn't it? Because you don't want to, you don't want to deprive the children of their sport, of their dance class, of whatever activity it is. Because A, it's very good for them. B, they have missed it desperately. Yeah. And... and, and, how do you strike the balance between it getting completely out of control and not having to look at very disappointed little faces? Oh, exactly. And I mean, like my son is delighted that his soccer is back, you know, and my daughter does musical theatre and she's really looking forward to that. So I think it's about looking at the big picture. You know, it's it's not having that knee-jerk, this is just the way it has to be. And look at your overall priorities as a family, maybe, for everybody and what do we want to you know what's our big (laughs) not making it sound like a business but what's our big goals for 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 how we want to live for the next year or something and where do the activities fit into those but we can also look at um you know i have a thing in, in my article as well about are your children enjoying all their activities because you know if they do fantastic and then maybe that's a really really good reason to make this work but sometimes you know, I think it's we've all been there where, you know, they start something and they're not really quite enjoying it, but, you know, you feel it's good for them and you feel you really should, then team sports And you good. paid for it. You paid for it, absolutely. Um, and you want to teach them the lesson that you can't just quit, you know, it's all those things. But maybe if if you have a lot of those, maybe they can go. You yeah. know, maybe there's other things that you can do with, with your family time then that's more yeah. valuable. Like, is there a... Is there a way that you can sort of negotiate it with them and say, right, Saturday morning, so we've got GA at 9, we've got soccer at 11. Now, Mm -hmm. do you really want to start looking for rugby at 1 o'clock? Haven't we got enough going on on Saturday? Can you get children of 6 and 7 who aren't, they don't have adult logic. Can you really bring them to a a one on the list, one off the list mentality? I think you can. I think children are (laughs) quite clever, really. And I think they they have um, a sense of what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy. And um, (laughs) they, they respond to logic more ways. Sometimes they actually surprise me with their logic and they call me out on things actually. So um, I think we can give them a little bit more credit there. And if it's really important to them, if it really, like, you know, all those three sports are their life and all their friends are there and there's no way they'll give them up. um, You know, you can maybe work on that a different way, but I think very often you'll find that um, it mightn't be such a big deal, you know? I think you just have to have the conversation, I think. I think we're not having the conversations. At the moment, we're just on autopilot doing a lot of things. They were Um, off and now they're back and we're gone back into that mode. Yeah. Yeah. Because there isn't like a one size fits all. And, you know, like what's right for one family and one child mightn't be right for the other. And it's just about, you know, unless you talk about it and unless you look at it, 
you're never you're just going to keep going um you know something else that's worth pointing out is and and you 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 indicated in the echo piece it's nearly always mom yeah i know i know that might it, be it, around yeah. but it's nearly always mom yes it very often is and it's especially if if there are conflicting priorities mom's own priorities are the ones that tend to give and i think that's a really important piece to to look at too that you know we don't just drop everything because somebody else needs are there um, and give up on, on their own. And I think that's another really honest conversation we have to have with mm. with ourselves and with the other members of the household, yeah. you know? You do need to yeah. have that conversation as well. Look, I'm taking her to her dance class. You need to take so-and-so to his ga, or she's going to the ga, he needs to go to dance class. I'm not, I can't do everything. We need to, we need to yeah. split it between us. So maybe yeah. you're going to yeah. have to book your golf for the afternoon rather than the morning. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, Ingrid, thank you very much. Time for conversations about these things before we get overwhelmed again. Ingrid Seam, her pieces in the Echo, and she is a psychological coach and the founder of Avenues Consultancy. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I do know. Look, as I, I thank my lucky stars every day that thankfully that rushing around is behind us. One of the being the reason that my daughter can drive now, which is very handy. Um, but that's I, I, I remember it. I remember it, and it was tough. And I know my friends with younger kids are, God, they are just run off their feet again. And my, my brother and my sister have, have younger kids. I said, Jesus, they're running around like Egypts again. And is it really inevitable that that's how life has to be? 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. The soundtrack to your afternoon in Cork. Latest news, your favourite tunes, and anything you need to help you through the day, i got it for you. See you after the Opinion Line. Cork's 96FM. I just want to mention, um, and we were given permission to share it but unfortunately we can't because people are too identifiable in it and all sorts of difficulties with that but yesterday afternoon I was sent a video um, from someone who I know and trust uh, a video about three and a half minutes in duration which was filmed it was filmed from the Grafton Mall car park so this person had his car parked in the Grafton Mall car park and as he was coming back to it he noticed activity in the alley between Oliver Plunkett Street and the South Mall which I think that old Grafton Street I think that's what it used to be called Grafton Street and the film he sent us was of three lads clearly preparing and injecting it can only have been heroin they were shooting up they were cooking it up and then shooting up and helping one another with the shooting up. One guy is clearly out of it by halfway through the video. But it's just very distressing. And he says, because he spends a lot of time in the city centre in the course of his work, he says that he sees this very frequently and even more frequently 
during the pandemic. It's much more visible since the start of the pandemic. And I don't know if you saw it. This would have been about three o'clock. Yeah, about three, between two and three yesterday. In or around the Grafton Street, Grafton Mall area. Activity with three lads. Clearly wasted or getting wasted on heroin. And as I said, um, he did give us permission to share it, but unfortunately it would be ethically not possible for us to do that. Because even if we did blank out the heads, well, Cork is a village and they'd be identifiable anyway and that just wouldn't be fair on them. So thanks for the video, mate. I'm happy to mention it, but it's just a lot. There's just a lot of activity around. A lot of drugs activity, a lot of paraphernalia in the streets. If I get one more message about kids finding syringes and kids finding little bits of tinfoil with burn marks on them, and we know what that is too. We have a serious, serious problem in our back streets and alleyways. We always did. We always did. But this video comes with a note from someone, shall I say, who is in a position to know, who is seeing an awful lot more of that activity around town. And very, very sad to see. Very sad to see. But what do you do about it? Putting some meat on the bones of this NHS question. Uh, We're finding out a little bit more as we go through. We'll hopefully get to the bottom of it. There's a reason. There is a reason. And the NHS seem to be saying, well, we're not going to help you to toddle off on your jollies. If that's what you want us to do at the taxpayer's expense, then, sorry, not going to happen. Go down to the private clinic down the road and pay them. That seems to be their attitude. But we're going to see where we go with that uh, between now and midday. 1850-715-996. Today is Africa Day. So it is. I wouldn't have known. I had to be told, uh, probably to my shame. But it is. Today is Africa Day. And Julie Coco, uh, Julie from Coco Hair Extensions, is... Um, is taking part in it in a very specific and special way. Julie, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. How are you taking part in Africa Day today? Today, uh, what we did, what they did, they actually go to different, because since with the coronavirus, they couldn't do it. So what they do is, they, I think, uh, that I know so far is they, they're doing different videos and different takes on what they're going to put together to show visuals for everybody to go online and watch and see, you know? Mm. It's, a, it's a workshop on Afro hair braiding. Yeah, yeah. It's a workshop of all type of braids. Okay. Which is very popular, not just among African people. everybody. Yeah, it's really popular. You know, like, very popular with super kids. super popular, yeah, with the kids. Oh, geez, they love the colors. They love their plaits. Especially yeah. especially going on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The corn, they, they love the cornrows and stuff like that. Oh, yes. <laughs> well said. <laughs> they do. They, they, they do. Cornrows, and it's probably safer yeah. them to, for them to get the cornrows here yes. in Cork because if they get them on holidays, they go out the following day and they get sunburnt. And it's, I've seen that happen. Yeah, but, yeah. And then they, they even told me that when they go on holiday, it's different because they put them in a chair where there's no mirror. And, you know, it's a holiday spot. So people don't yeah. care what to do. They just do what they have to do. Yeah, I didn't realize that. There's a. There's a so, so, what is. Tell me more about Africa Day, Julie. It's basically what to just to show in the country where we live our own culture, our own different, our own um, clothing, our own 
culture, every culture, every part of Africa, you know, not even really Africa. I think the Indians as well are doing it with the Africans. So I don't really know. I think it's a day for everyone to come together to see Africans, especially mm. being together in a place. Because Africa is a continent. So, a so it, you know, it's millions of people. It is, Millions, it of, is. loads of different influences, loads yes. of different cultures, all melding together into a. Uh-huh. Into the, what would what would normally happen in Cork on in a COVID-free world, as it were? Uh, normally, we'll be on the street in the park, the uh, fish sense sense. Uh, what's it called again? Fitzgerald's park. park. Yes, I think the last three years they've been. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Doing it and it's art. Yeah. Music, food. Dancing, mm. yeah. every people come in. Every w- people of all planets come in, and just, just, just even the the the, the Europeans, the Americans, everybody's there. Ah, well, the music is infectious now. To be fair, the music, and then they have the youths that are coming up that are doing, um, um, like this guy named Jeronic. He's a rapper, upcoming yeah. rapper. Yeah. There is um, all the teenagers now. Coming up, they want to dance. This mm. uh, want to showcase. You know, this yeah. it's very entertaining. Great, great. Well, listen, I, w- I wish you well with it today. Thank you. And um, a happy Africa Day to you. Oh, thank you so much. And you're welcome to join in to watch. Well, no, thing. there's no. You'll never get cornrows into my hair. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but I do no, love the I do love the music. I do love the music. And I remember being being away years ago uh, in I, actually I, in Lebanon in, in the Middle East, and I was treated to some African food, and it was just yeah. magnificent. Oh, God, it was magnificent. Magnificent. Julie, thank you very much and a happy Africa Day to you. And the Lord Mayor is raising the Africa Union flag at 11 o'clock this morning. Yeah, it was Nigerian food. Um, I happened to be in Lebanon in 99, I think it was, uh, over there actually with the UNIFIL, visiting UNIFIL, visiting the, the Irish operations over there. There's a Nigerian battalion there at the time. And there's one particular place where they all have a canteen. They all have a cafe. And it's all traditional food. And we, as a visiting group of reporters in relative peacetime, we were invited to, you know, sample whatever. Of course, most of the lads were going for the Irish place and looking for fries and whatever. I says, I like to look at that stuff over And I like the smell of that stuff over there. And I had some wonderful, wonderful Africa food. African food. 1850-715-996. So, there isn't a butterfly to be seen, lads. I mean, look out at that now. November rang looking for its weather back. And that is why you can't see any butterflies. Coming up next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Grand minute. It's Cork's biggest breakfast cash giveaway. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Cork's 96 FM. Answer 10 questions. To claim all that cash. Oh, oh, oh my God. Go, go, go. The 10 Grand Minute with Clona Vitamin Enriched Milk packed with vitamin D. Cork's Clona Dairy bringing a little sunshine to our lives. Casey and Ross in the morning. I actually don't believe it. On Cork's 96 FM. So normally by this time of the year uh, out in the back garden of Coogan Towers otherwise known as Costa del Deck herself has plant pots and flowers and this... This is stuff everywhere. In fairness, she does a massive job on a whole load of colour and whatever. And we'd have the odd butterfly coming in. And bumblebees too, but butterflies in particular. And I haven't seen one of them uh, so far. And uh, we're thinking, is it a case that it's just too blasted cold for them? And in actual fact, it is. Dr. Liam Lysett is director at the National Biodiversity Data Centre and he oversees what's called the Butterfly Atlas. Liam, good morning. Morning, PJ. Before I get to any questions about climate and butterflies and temperature, what is the Butterfly Atlas? It's basically a project where we're tracking the distribution and the populations of Ireland's butterflies. It's really a benchmark against which, um, you know, we'll, we'll track change uh, to, to see how things like climate change and land use change are impacting on butterfly populations. So it's really just build the evidence base around how population, uh, populations of butterflies are doing in Ireland. It's not a coincidence, is it, that we have a, a very unseasonal May and I haven't seen any butterflies yet? Yeah, no, that's right. It's um, The butterflies depend on warm temperature and sun to fly. 
Uh, and when it's cooler, you know, if it's at the moment, what is it, about 12 degrees, 13 degrees, it's really too cold for butterflies to fly. So they just tend to go to shelter and roost until a bit of sun comes out. So, you know, that, that that's going to impact on, on some of the, the butterfly populations, particularly ones like um, orange tip. I think people would be familiar yeah. with, with the white butterfly with the big orange patches on their wing. Like they only have a, a flight period of five or six weeks uh, early in spring and if they can't move around and mate you know there'll be a knock on impact I'd say for next year's population so they are there they're just not coming out because it's too cold for them the poor devils how do you <laughs> how do you mean the heat affects their flight how, how does that work well basically they're not warm blooded like we are so they have to get the heat to get their body going from the uh, from the sun okay so the, the, you know basically if it's if it's around 10 11 degrees it's just too cold for them to fly so right. they just rest and wait until the temperature picks up. Um, right. yeah, and is that so, why you sometimes see them just sitting still in a sunny spot doing nothing? Well, look, it's a very complicated. There's 35 different species of butterfly, 36 that you get in Ireland. And, and depending on the different times of the year, you'll see them behaving differently. For example, like most people would be familiar with the small tortoiseshell butterfly. Uh, it roosts overwinter in people's houses and then comes out in the first fine days in spring. Um, And then for it it has two generations each year. So in spring, they're mad keen to go out and find partners and they're very mobile and their only interest in one thing is finding, is hooking up with a partner and uh, looking after the next generation. But then in autumn, the, um, the, 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 the adults are sexually immature and all they do is they bask and they feed up on, on nectar sources to, so they're in good condition to overwinter as an adult. Right. So depending on the time of year, they behave differently. What's their lifespan, roughly? It can vary. I mean, some of the smaller butterflies, like uh, Common Blue, could have uh, a lifespan as an adult now of about four or five days, whereas something like a peacock butterfly is, it would overwinter and it could be an adult for maybe, you know, seven or eight months. Really? Four or five days? Yeah. Yeah, some of the smaller butterflies would have uh, potentially very short life spells. So they'd have grown from the cocoon and the whole lot in just five days. Yeah, well, all they have to do really is is in that is that time become an adult and find a partner and mate and lay the eggs for the next generation, and then their their <laughs> their purpose in uh, and this world is is done. Um, yeah. Right now, normally at this point in in May we should see a bit more activity, but but we're not. About how much warmer would it need to get before? Cause, and you're saying to me that they're all sheltering now. They're afraid to come out. They can't come out because it's too cold for them. So how much of an increase would we need to to see? Well, even at, at the moment, um, you know, if you've got a break in the clouds, within about a couple of minutes, you'll see butterflies on the wing again. Right. So it, it's it's more to do with sunshine. I mean, if the temperature was about 14, 15 degrees, you'll have butterflies flying. The weather isn't isn't an impediment. But when it's it's down as it is at the moment, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12 degrees, they do need sunshine to, to warm up their bodies and move. So, um, but of course, it's, it's still very early in the season. Like July is the peak period for butterflies in Ireland. So, you know, if the weather changed, improved this weekend, which I believe it is, you know, the, the, the butterflies that come out a bit later in the season may not be impacted at all on this cold right. spell. Yeah. Um, How important are, are they to our biodiversity? Well, th- there's a kind of a, 
an assumption that they're pollinators because they land on, on flowers all the time, but actually it's, they only carry out accidental pollination. I suppose from our, I mean, they're beautiful to look at, of course, and they add diversity to any garden. But um, from our, the reason that we're interested in them really is they're very good indicators of things like, you know, how climate change is impacting on the countryside. How do they like indicate that to us? Um, they're very sensitive. Uh, we're talking about the fact that, um, you know, weather plays a very important role in terms of their flight periods. Mm. And so any small changes in terms of temperature or any uh, disruption with the natural cycle, which is, is happening because of climate change, we can still they'll impact on the behaviour of butterflies. And if, we, if we're monitoring them, we can detect fairly small changes. I can give you an example, if you like, of one, yes. of one way that climate change is impacting. There's a butterfly called a wall or wall brown, and it was widespread across the country maybe, you know, 20 years ago. But it, it has more or less vanished from the Midlands of Ireland, and it's now only found along the coastal areas. And... It's thought, and this is only a theory, it's thought that actually it's the first one of the butterflies that's been impacted on climate change and that usually that species has two generations each year. It has a spring generation and then the whole life cycle goes through and they have an autumn generation. But it's thought that because the autumns are getting a bit milder um, that that butterfly is trying to cram in a third generation. Right. But it can't actually complete that full third generation so that the the caterpillars aren't actually in a fit stage of development to allow them to overwinter. So it's called the lost generation. That's it's cool. almost as if this butterfly is trying to adapt to warmer temperatures, but it's not quite right. Not so getting there just the yet. The population for next year then is impacted. Gotcha. Uh, and of course, around the coast, the, 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 the climate is cooler. So that's why we think that it's, it's still doing quite well in the coastal mm-hmm. areas. Can individuals get involved in this butterfly atlas? Yeah, well, what basically, it's, it's quite simple. What we're asking if people see butterflies and if they're confident that they know what species it is, we're asking them to submit details of the sightings to us through citizen, our citizen science portal. And those sightings will then add into the database that goes into the butterfly atlas. Um, but PJ, there's another thing that we're doing is that we have a garden butterfly monitoring scheme. And if anyone has a garden, and they're, they're interested in, in, you know, spending 15 minutes to count uh, the butterflies they see. Um, yeah. They need to register with us. And um, that kind of information is hugely valuable to, popula- yeah. to, to tracking population changes. And I know I picked up um, last week in the, in the Irish Times, picked up a lovely uh, poster of the garden birds. Is there any similar poster for butterflies and insects? Yeah, we actually have a, a, a Butterflies of Ireland poster on biodiversityireland.ie. Um, we actually also have hard copies of it, but it's hard for us to distribute them at the moment. Normally when we have wor- workshops and the like, we give them out to people. Right. But um, yeah, there's plenty of online resources actually for butterflies. There's also an e-learning course on biodiversityireland.ie that okay. people can, can access and find um, how to identify butterflies and the like. Okay, if people have an interest, then they can go there. Thank you very much, Dr. Liam Lysett. Uh, he's the director of the National Biodiversity Data Centre overseeing the Butterfly Atlas. Who knew there is such a thing? Well, says you, you do now. Speaking of things environmental, as we were there with the butterflies and biodiversity and all that, here's an interesting story that I spotted in the papers this morning from the UK. 
You know the way we're all been told about soft plastic, that you can't put it in to the recycling bin, and it's a pain in the neck taking the plastic off of the plastic bag that some apples come in or the plastic that's wrapped around a cucumber. And yeah, look, maybe it shouldn't be there, but it is. And we buy the stuff and we have bread wrappers and all the stuff that, you know, you can't put it in the recycling bin so it goes. The Tesco in the UK have come up with a, a cool idea. I wonder will they roll it out here now. In 170-something of their stores across the southwest of the UK, they are going to take in your soft plastic into an actual soft plastic recycling collection point and from there it will be taken, cleaned and repurposed as new packaging, uh, new new food packaging. Uh, and they're taking in things like bread bags, fruit and veg packs, crisp packets, salad bags, baby food pouches, pet food pouches. That's not a bad idea. I wonder what they roll it out here. It's just another idea that we don't do. With so much of the plastic in this country is soft and you can't recycle it. And they're saying, well, cut out soft plastic. You can't really do that. So let's get better recycle- at recycling it. There you go. Nice idea. 1850-715-996. This is an amazing story. This is the story of baby Zara. Let me get this right, Linda. Good morning. So so she was born at 21 minutes past nine on the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st week. What a coincidence. Good morning. Good morning, Dee How are you? First of all, congratulations. How is she doing? Thank you very much. She's great. She's absolutely great. She had a lovely party for herself last night and kept us awake all night. So Good for we're recovering this morning. Fair play. Now, she wasn't even due the other night, was she? No, no. She uh, she decided that she wanted her own little way into the world. So she she just decided to make inroads to, to come about on uh, on Thursday. And we were kind of into the labour ward on Friday, hanging around all day for her to make her grand appearance. Right. So Friday being the 21st, yeah. uh, and then the 21st week of the 21st year of the 21st century. Did, it, did that dawn on you at any stage? <laughs> it did, because we were talking about birthdays as, you know, as we were kind of passing the time in the labour ward. And they said, oh, she'll be born on the 21st of May 2021. And that was kind of the end of it. We were saying, oh, that'll be nice. We'll be able to remember her birthday that way. But... We didn't. Uh, we didn't kind of know until she was born, and they were doing all the documentation. And one of the midwives said, "Hey, she was born at twenty-one, twenty-one on the twenty-first of the twenty-first of the and it kept going. So we had good laugh about it in the the labour ward. And as midwives, you know, they got kind of, I suppose, a bit interested in birthdays, and it's kind of started spreading around. And people started coming over to have a look at her and saying, "Oh, she's a twenty-one baby. That's the twenty-one baby born there." So it was quite funny. So her, and, and her twenty-first will be on the twenty-first. <laughs> <laughs> on the 21st week. Good Lord. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Have you it's been on to the Guinness Book of Records or whatever for the most appropriate No, no, not yet. Not yet. We can't give her too big a head now. She's only a couple of days old. <laughs> now, you obviously, great care was given at the time and you've been very... You've been. It was. It was, absolutely. The, the staff in the CUMH are just absolutely amazing. They're dealing with the global pandemic. They have no IT systems at the moment, so they're absolutely run off their feet. Crikey, the care that we got was just second to none from, you know, hospital porters, catering staff. Everyone has a smile on their face. They have, you know, a nod and a smile to you. They're just absolutely amazing. And the midwives that we had, we had Blanca and um, Colleen, 
there was a lovely student nurse in with us as well. She hadn't witnessed the birth up until um, Zara came along and she'd missed it because the shift change was at eight o'clock. Oh. So she had to go home to poor Orla and Miss Dale and Zara being born. So, uh, But the, the staff were absolutely amazing. Prof Higgins there, is, he's, he's absolutely fantastic as well. So, yeah. really, And, and really is it amidst the restrictions, which I suppose, like how did they affect you? I mean, was, was himself able to be there? He was, Connor, my husband was there from the induction time all the way through. So it was just lovely having him there as a hand to hold and someone to have a bit of fun with. We were kind of chatting to the any of the staff that came in all the way through. So, yeah, it was lovely to have him there and just to have that security of your partner being there with you. So yeah. they are starting to open up um, some of the restrictions, which is great because is it's well needed. Yeah, yeah, because in fairness, we've heard some, some terribly sad stories from people over yeah. the last year. And look, we understand that the hospital has to do what it does for everyone, not just for yeah. the individual cases. Now, uh, her her brothers, Jack and Alex, uh, how have they taken to her? They they hopped out of bed this morning to come in and have a look at her, so they're absolutely besotted. And there's loads of grandparents queuing up to meet her. There's aunts, uncles, cousins. She had another gorgeous baby cousin born only five days before her, so baby Ellie, who's up in Tyrone. So there'll be a big family celebration at some point. We'll probably have double and triple christenings at some point in the Clifford Daly household with all the different cousins that we have. So it's just... uh, it's a lovely time for all of us now. So it's just nice to have some nice news to share with people. It's a, it's a lovely little story. Yeah. It's a lovely little story. And that's why we wanted to get, get a challenge. And I'm glad all, you, you're all right. You're recovering fine, are you? All good. All good. Just good. happy that she's here, healthy and safe. You know, she's she's no more special than the, any other beautiful baby born any other day of the week. She's, she's, she's very special. Excuse me, she's very special to us. All right, Linda, thank you. Congratulations to yourself and to Connor and all the family on the arrival of baby Zara. So... Get this right now. She was born at 21 minutes and 21 seconds past, I know there was 21.21, on the 21st day of the 21st week of the 21st year of the 21st century. Well, that won't happen again for a while. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Your donations will make a massive difference. I'm delighted to announce that the overall total for the 2021 Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is a fantastic 380 55,566 euros. Whoa! Thank you to everyone who supported the Cork's 96 FM Giving for a Living Radiothon. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. See a story on the international headlines this morning. You know what? We're not the only place in the world that's been goosed by a cyber attack on our health service. I see where New Zealand is in trouble in the district of Waikato in New Zealand. A cyber attack very similar to the one that's crippled 
uh, the HSE here. Uh, they've half a million people living in that district and services severely affected in the last 24 hours due to a cybersecurity breach and there's a demand for a ransom and they've said they're not paying it. And they now New Zealand has a spy agency. We don't seem to have such things here, but they've been drafted in to aid the health service to resolve the issue, and they've got a, a cybersecurity expert as an advisor to the government. Uh, they think it came from Asia or the Middle East, and apparently is very similar to the HSE attack. Interesting. So we're not the only ones, and in fact, if you look at it, health services are very much favoured by cyber attackers because the way they operate their systems, and I think Bruce Snyder was saying something like this to me when he was on last week, health services and hospitals, they, they do tend to be open because of the way they manage their systems and other experts will say that too, because of the way hospitals and, and systems like that manage their, manage their communications, they can inadvertently or otherwise leave themselves open to cyber attack but when you get sorted you've got to go in and spend money again everyone's saying this go in and spend money on making sure they don't get into your system again 1850 715 is the number we've got a bit more certainty on what's happening with the NHS PCR test it actually isn't a money saving racket or a money making racket as some people are suggesting in actual fact it is the NHS in the UK doing what it's supposed to do and spending taxpayers money properly Patricia has been telling me on Twitter she'd come on the show and she can't today because she's actually in a hospital uh, where her daughter, and we wish her well, is having a bit of a procedure. But the doctor has been talking. She heard it on the radio. Uh, she's listening to us over there and she asked the doctor, why is that? So the doctor has explained. So I'll tell you all that before, before, before 12 today. They're actually saving taxpayers' money. So... Bravo, NHS. 1850-715-996. Let us go and ask... I asked you this this morning. Did you get a decent night's sleep last night? Now, to any of us, that could mean totally different things. That might mean a different thing to me, to Terry and to Fergal all at once. Did you get a decent night's sleep last night? Because for each one of us, a decent night's sleep probably varies. Let's say if I went into the newsroom, Victoria and Barry and the others, a decent night's sleep to them and a decent night's sleep to me and a decent night's sleep to... It's all different. Um, what constitutes a decent night's sleep for you is not the same as it is for me. And one of the things that happens with me a lot, I'm used to it, is I will almost invariably wake up at least once. Uh, moreover, on certain nights rather than other nights. I'll get into that with my next guest. Tom Coleman is a qualified health scientist and a sleep coach. Uh, and I'm interested to know, first of all, what a sleep coach is. Is it as, exactly as it says on the tin? Do you teach people how to sleep better, Tom? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, indeed, it's, it, it is quite simple. Um, we look at various aspects of a person's lifestyle and um, see how they're impacting sleep. Because actually, everything you do from once you wake up in the morning to, to when you go to bed at night will influence your sleep, your sleep and your circadian rhythm. So... Um, I don't diagnose medical uh, conditions, but what I do do is sort of teach people simple modifications and influences that really have a profound impact on your ability to fall asleep and maintain sleep. You mentioned the term circadian ribbon, in, a, a rhythm, r- r- rhythm, English that for yeah. me. English, circa, around about, dn a day, around about a day, 
Um, so we have a rhythm of around about a day where functions and processes happen in the body. Um, and that should align with, with the with the day-night uh, cycle. So it's around about a day because a day is not exactly 24 hours. It's yeah. 23 hours, 59 minutes and 44 seconds. So... <laughs> so- Talked, I, I mentioned in, in the introduction there, like my idea of a satisfactory night's sleep and Terry's and Fergal's and anybody else in the building, they might all differ. Yeah, I suppose th- th- there is uh, that sort of personal variance. And there, there are kind of broad recommendations around how much sleep we will we should be getting each night and, and each week indeed. Um, so for one person, that could be uh, six hours sleep. That could constitute, a, you know, a decent night's sleep. And for another person, it could be seven and a half or nine hours. And we, we generally look at it in terms of 90-minute sleep cycles. So six hours would be four cycles and uh, seven and a half hours would be five cycles. But it is personal. I mean, I've worked with people who sleep as little as three or four hours and, and people who need as much as 12 hours. So there is that variance. But for most of us, uh, between seven and nine hours. Really? I'd say the last time I got seven hours was a weekend. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I tend to be six, tops yeah, six. Yeah. But I will wake, you, you mentioned the cycles, I will wake up at least once in that six. Yes, which is very, which is very um, normal. I mean, we would refer to it as sleep-wake cycles, not sleep, because it's not one continuous event. And it's so many people do wake up and you're, you're waking up for various reasons. Your sleep cycles are getting lighter as the night progresses. The sleep pressure that has built up to put you to sleep is being eased off as you sleep. And then various hormonal kind of things are happening. So, you know, there's a very good reason why you're waking. And, and I, people shouldn't uh, worry. It's, it's, the, it's the getting back to sleep bit that they kind of have difficulty with. And therein lies the, the, the rub. The waking once a night doesn't particularly bother me. But sometimes the, the the trip to the loo or the drink of water or the turnover and fix the bed doesn't work or maybe get out and open the window doesn't work. And I'm lying there going, I know I need to sleep. I'm getting up at six o'clock, but why can't I sleep? Yes. Well, and I'm wrecked as well. <laughs> So yes. why can't I sleep, Tom? Wired and tired because the head takes over because you start the, th- the thought, the thinking and the analysis, which is prefrontal cortex. That's the same area of your brain that's in charge of worry. So what we tend to do is start getting a little bit stressed out. So the cortisol and the adrenaline and all those things change the chemical environment and then we can't sleep and then we become more stressed out. So the idea is that we give our brain something to do, some chewing gum for the brain, and we use our own physiology. We leverage our physiology, our breathing, to help bring us into a, a calmer state and that will help induce sleep. So we can do different sort of cognitive exercises like, you know, I mean, the old one is counting of the sheep, but um, there are various kind of body scan exercises where you, you work through your body and then you, you bring yourself back to the breath and you slow down your, your breathing. And if you do any kind of breathing exercise which, which focuses on the soft exhale, that will actually, from a physiological point of view, reduce stress. It's actually the fastest scientific method to reduce stress. Yeah. So in other words, what you're saying is don't stop thinking about sleeping because that stops you sleeping. That, uh, move the focus away from sleep. The focus should be on the now, the present, uh, and, and what am I doing right now? What, fe- what, what am I feeling? And, and give, giving ourselves you know, mental tasks to, 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 to focus on that. Uh, and relaxation really should be the goal. And when that happens, then the emphasis is taken off sleep, stress, you know, 
that tends to, to work very well. And once you gain confidence in this, I mean, once you achieve it a few times, you go, well, actually, I used to be a person who would always wake up, but now I can, I can go back to sleep. And that really, really helps because you can be back asleep in five minutes. Yeah. Something else that happens, and I move on to a broader question because I think all our sleep has been affected by the pandemic. There's no doubt about it. Something else that happens to me is I'm sitting in front of the, the, the television at 10 o'clock and I'm saying, I want to watch this now, a documentary order. I want to watch it. And sure, it's gone. I've lost it. It's gone. It's gone. And then I wake up uh, out of my slumber on the couch and I go, right, I'm going to bed now. And I'm going up and says, oh, no, you're not. You're wide awake again. What's going on there? That's the exact same mechanism because think about it, you're, you're sitting, you're relaxed, there's no pressure on you to fall asleep, you've got chewing, chewing gum for the brain with the documentary, so you're, you know, the walls are, are, are down, you're completely relaxed and, and sleep occurs. And then the minute you get up, you get upstairs, there's no chewing gum for the brain, the brain starts analysing, I have to fall asleep. But d- is my brain too thick to realise I'm actually going to bed? Ah uh, no, we just we just have the untrained mind in, 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 in kind of Western culture. The the mind is like a, the child, which will keep you know grasping hold of things, and the, the natural gravitation towards worry at night. You know, yes. I mean, part of the reason we're so successful as a species is the fact that we can look into the future and predict danger. So that again, that area of your brain is the same area. So um, we just have to, you know, give, give our give our brains a little bit of something to do. Um, which is kind of mildly entertaining, and uh, that should help elicit and calm us down and bring us down the kind of arousal continue into into a very relaxed state. Now, a lot of people have struggled, and one of the reasons we're doing items like this on the show, Tom, is because a lot of people have struggled with their sleep during the pandemic, and and you say that it's it is the uncertainty of it all that that yes. leads us into that. There's, there's various reasons why people's sleep have, have been completely disrupted. I have noticed a huge upsurge in kind of people struggling with, with sleep onset and indeed maintenance as well. But um, I suppose the unknown outcome, when we have unknown outcomes, it kind of creates background anticipatory anxiety. And and this these anxiety levels accumulate over the over the days and the months and people have health concerns on top of that for themselves and their loved ones. So that sort of feeds into that kind of background anxiety. Um so that really it reaches a kind of tipping point. We seem to be busier than ever. And then so we we throw in the, the, the busyness, the uncertainty, we can throw in technology on top of that, and then that's a formula for, for, for you know, staying awake and, and, and worrying at mm. night. Why do we catastrophize when we're trying to sleep? In other words, what I mean by that is something is going on in your life and you've sat down perfectly rationally at the table and you figured, right, this is going to happen, this is how I'm going to handle it, and everything is grand. And there's nothing to worry about. Why do you start catastrophizing at one in the morning? Because once the noise of the day has settled down... The anxiety, if, if, there's, if, if the anxiety levels are, are, are starting to be raised, so, so in the amygdala, the, you know, the threat detection, that's the threat detection centre of, of, of your brain, and you will kind of gravitate towards that. And this is where we know that if you exercise, if you run, if you walk, if you do anything that's moving forward, optic flow, um, that will reduce activity in the threat detection centre of your brain. I mean, we've all been there at night. I mean, we've all been there. We do worst case scenario and you think it just goes over again. And, and sometimes, this is what I say, we kind of think our way into better living. 
we have to live our way into better thinking. So we can't think our way out of it at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, mm. And maybe maybe we don't want to take the action. Maybe we don't want to, or, or, or we're, we're you know we're creating the the picture of what might happen and, and worst case scenario. So we just have to engage and get up and move and, and take the right action the next day. And, and the sleep, you know, the sleep will sort itself out. Yeah. How are you fixed on napping? Nothing. It will depend. It is kind of personal. I mean, the experts will all agree that we should go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time. And sleep regularity is just as important, if not more important, than, than trying to achieve, you know, the seven and a half hours ideal kind of scenario. You mentioned that at the start. So, you know, sleep regularity is hugely important. Now, if we miss out, because you know what? Life happens. And, and, and we might be awake worrying or sometimes we wake up or children or whatever it may be might disrupt our sleep. We, we accumulate sleep days, maybe. Mm. So weekend maybe is, is an opportunity where if you have accumulated sleep debt during the week that you can catch up with an hour and a half cycle. Of course, on Saturday morning, you're going mm. to wake up at the same time because your brain loves patterns. Oh, yeah, I'll get but to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you want to sleep and you can't kind of thing. So, but that's fine. But what you can do is you can nap or you can go, go back to sleep. Now, if you do nap, please leave, you know, six six or seven hours between your nap and your, your bedtime. I see. That will disrupt, right? Um, and if you do nap, take a short nap of 15, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. If you go beyond that, you're going into the deeper stages of sleep. It's less Otherwise, beneficial to you. Well, it's not less beneficial, but what happens is you will feel more lethargic. If you wake up after an hour, you will feel a lot more lethargic because you're, you're waking yourself in, in stage three sleep, which is yes. very deep. But Or you go for the full 90-minute cycle. Yes, but you have to question, will that impact on my sleep onset that night? So again, yes. it depends on your sensitivity to, to, to napping. Does your brain keep account of the amount of rest you're getting? Oh, your brain does indeed. You're, I mean, even if you wake up in, at different stages of sleep, if we, day, if we wake up in, in, in light phase sleep or REM sleep, the next night your brain will keep you in, in REM sleep for longer. Or if you wake up in deep sleep where a lot of physical restoration is happening, the next night your brain will keep you in, in uh, deep space, sleep longer. So your brain will look after all of that for you. And sometimes people say to me, well, how do I get more deep sleep? But you don't need to worry about that because the brain is extraordinary and it will look after that. It will, it will decide to shut down that, that centre and, and rest it, uh, whether or not you're willing. Is that it? Whether yeah, or not- or, or, yeah, it certainly will. And, and you know, it's, it's like, um, if, you know, if we continually miss out on REM sleep, the brain actually forces you to dream. In, in waking states, and that's why um, we, we see people who, who maybe are alcoholics and alcohol really suppresses REM sleep. Um, you know, they, they're walking around talking away. Maybe that's their brain forcing them to dream while they're awake because you're not getting at night. So your brain will force the issue. Is that why, Tom, that if you have the few pints and you, you think you sleep like a log after it, is that why you're shattered the next day? Because you didn't well, properly <laughs> sleep at all. Well, technically, if you've had too much alcohol, if, if you've had a lot of alcohol, technically you haven't slept at all because brainwave activity will, if I put a polysomnography hat on you and measure your brainwave activity, it will tell, tell me you're out of consciousness. So that's why you wake up tired because technically you haven't even slept. So, yeah, indeed. Now, you know, you know, a beer or a wine in the evening, no problem. Ah, yeah. You know, when we go into that excessive mode, that's where we have real issue and that's where it causes many issues. Yeah, a couple, no couple of questions are coming in. Um, what can people do? Are there a few things we can all do to prepare for bed and to ensure that we at least have a chance of getting a good sleep? We prepare for bed the minute we get up in the morning. So 
if people are hitting the snooze button 10 times, it's telling me something, right? So we should be getting up and getting outside and getting bright, full-spectrum light. And that sends a signal to the brain to... Uh, it sets a timer for melatonin and it, 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 it causes um, us to be fully awake and alert. So getting outside, getting moving, exercising, avoiding stimulants and sedatives like caffeine and alcohol, or, or certainly uh, controlling the amount, not having coffee after, say, 1 to 2 p.m. Um, and then in 1 to 2 p.m.? Yes, 1 to 2 p.m. So caffeine has a half-life, which means 50% is eliminated in the body. Uh, caffeine has a half-life of about anywhere from 5 to 9 hours, depending on your, your genes. So we can be very sensitive. Now, you know, people know themselves, their tolerances for, for, for coffee. Um, so just be mindful of the coffee. Uh, once evening time becomes, we need to sort of control the light. Light is a powerful driver of sleep-wake cycles. So um, avoid the very bright lights. And start to wind down. I mean, this is one of the biggest things that I come across, is people not emotionally and, and cognitively winding down. We're running around, trying to get everything done, and you jump into bed and go, oh, my mind is racing, I don't want to Start to wind down, and we can, um, all of those things, and have a nice sleep ritual, and make sure your bedroom is cool, dark, organised, it's not full of clutter, that kind of causes stress as well. Mm. Um and, and we can do a little breathing or a little, uh, listen to something relaxing. It could be a, a podcast. So you build your little sleep ritual and, and I mask will really help as well. Right. So Chris, was, these, Chris yeah. was on from Kinsale. That line I hope it's going to hold for another minute or two. Chris in Kinsale was on to say, I tend to wake up most nights and my habit is to go straight to my phone. Is, is that helping or hindering me? Hindering absolutely because what we do is we 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 reach for the phone we we press the button and we get blinded by the light now the blue LED light before is, is twice as sunlight that's suppressing the sleep hormone melatonin so basically you're telling your brain to wake up and then you're stimulating yourself with the with the with, with the phone depending on what you're doing with it so it elicits that kind of dopaminergic response which is kind of highly addictive um, and that's how the app companies are successful so. The phone, okay, if you're, if you're turning on some nice relaxing music to put you back to sleep, I don't mind that, but if you're scrolling or going on social media, that's, that's, that's the issue. Right? So, better to learn the technique. Try and get one more minute out of that line because I know it's going to collapse on me. Why am I awake, says this caller, I worry about this a little bit if I was this person. Why am I awake after taking a sleeping tablet only three hours later? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd consult with the GP on that one. I would think so. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. I'd look at. I'd, I'd look at all the other uh, things that I could control around my sleep hygiene, and then I'd maybe look at CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia. Shown to be just as effective as medication really? without the negatives. Yes, absolutely. CBT. Okay. Yeah. We might catch up another day, Tom. Unfortunately, this line is going to die on me now. But thank you very much, sleep consultant Tom Coleman. I, I, the thing I take from that is don't try too hard. Your body will make sure you get the rest you want. But it's a strange old thing, sleep. A very strange old thing, sleep. I can go through three or four nights in a row where I would wake up and I'd be hussing and turning and kicking and farting and no way will I go back to sleep. And he says to me, well, forget about that. Don't worry about that. Because eventually your body will catch up anyway. Yeah, I'm sitting here like a zombie at half ten. <laughs> 1850-715-996. There are a lot of scam calls going around. I've had three of them. I've had three of them. So, Jane, yes, you're not the only one. Uh, there's a lot of it going around. It's an automated call from social welfare saying you're being sued for money laundering, fraud, and drug trafficking. 
Now, I haven't listened all the way to the end. They're 083 numbers. I've got seven of them in the past two days. Obviously, I'm not answering them, but I said I'd let you know. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, I was driving home the other day and the phone rang in the car and I put it on speaker and it starts off, Hello, this is the Department of Social Welfare. Right, well, you're not from the Department of Social Welfare anyway, so gone. And then a half an hour later, Hello, this is the Department of Social Welfare. Bang, gone. Because no one at the Department of Social Welfare will ever ring up the phone going, Hello, this is the Department of Social Welfare. They say, Hello, is that Patrick Coogan? There, that's what, they, that's what they call me in Social Welfare. Hello, is that Mr. Coogan? They will never say, Hello, this is the Department of Social Welfare. But they're scam calls, and there's hundreds of them going around. And you know what you do? They all come from an 083 number. So if you can do it, the minute you dump the call, go into your block. You can actually block the number from calling you again. But they're scam artists. Imagine anyone at the Department of Social Welfare saying, Hello, this is the Department of Social Welfare. No, they don't. Hello, is that Mr. Coogan? 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. So I mentioned that story from uh, New Zealand where they are now investigating in one of one of their districts. It's not the whole, not the whole country. Uh, but in New Zealand they have had a major cyber attack on the health system in one of their regions of, of New Zealand, uh, very similar, they're saying, to the one that has paralysed HSE. Stuart, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Good. You've been having a bit of looking around. Oh, yeah, I just I was having a laugh. I, I, I don't usually listen to 86 at this hour of the morning, but I was listening to the doctors waiting to get my jab, and I came out. Um, it's, it's, people think that I'm fascinated still that people are, are believe that um, this is state-sponsored Russian government and this, that, and the other, and it's nothing. Or that the HSE is lax in some way, PJ. Um, and I gave an example to your to your producer. Um, you can get onto the dark web. It's called the dark web. People don't understand the internet. It's called the dark web. Um, and there are websites in there that are officially off the record, we'll say, but they're not, they're not hidden. You know, you can get, anybody can get on there with a proper browser. You just need a different browser. You can't get on there using, using um, Google um, or using your ordinary browsers, but you can download a thing called a Tor browser, T-O-R. There are different types of mm. Download .onion files, and the, in the, the, it's a whole other internet, PJ. And a lot of the reason for it, I know some of it is criminal activity, a lot a lot of criminal activity. You can hire a hitman to shoot your wife, PJ, there, you know, yeah, within t- three minutes. Don't be telling her, because she'll do it. To, <laughs> she'll have it on me. Go on. You can, you can buy 
you can buy any weapon you want delivered now as to whether they get through the sorting office in whatever country you're in is a different matter but you can buy them pay for them in bitcoin and have them delivered i mean this is this is not a new phenomenon pj but I, when i listen to people saying and i'm not a government's boss person by any means but when i hear people saying we'll have to do something now on how many millions it's going to cost to protect our systems. There is almost, I've been in the computer business, PJ, for 30 years. I was wondering what background you were coming from, yeah. There is also, there is almost no chance of stopping people hacking uh, um, websites and networks as big as the HSEs. When you have a, um, a database and websites and a networking system that is that is that has incoming traffic, from doctor surgeries, from clinics all over the place. They all have access to this same network, PJ, you know. Mm. But and we could, could we not spend a bit more? I mean, all the experts I was speaking to last week were saying that, look, we're spending about a, a fifth at best of what we should be spending on keeping systems up to date, keeping patches up to date, keeping the block, you know, keeping the, the oh, okay. security well, up I to date. A, I'm inside there at the moment now. There's a page in here, um, PJ, and I'm on it there at the moment. It's called Ransomware Group Sites. And there's a list of 26 different ransomware groups. And this is where they dump their information and leak it. This is like a page you'd open on Google now. And the crowd that, that have done the HSE's website, um, they're called Conti. Yes. Conti slash Ryuk. And um, they will give you a certain amount of time. They also... They also put up the screenshots of, of the negotiations they have with whoever's in charge of the paying the ransoms. And I'm just going to go into one above that. This is not Conti. This is a different one. I don't know whether you wrote the name or not. But I don't Best know. not to. Best not to. Um, I'll go into another one here now. And this is there's 25 or 26 of this. These are tw- different groups. And, uh, and you, can, you can find anything you want, in other words. Yes, but, but surely we have to do something to try to stop this. I'll show you what happens. Welcome to leak site created by blah 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 ransomware and leak data. And you go in here. Now there's a lighting company. They've all their data. Phoenix McCann. All go down and down. Now PD final part. When it says PD final part, Metropolitan Police Department of Washington District of Columbia part two. You still have the ability to stop us releasing any more data. So you can see what's going on with with these people. Obviously, you know where to look and you know where to find it through your own experience. But the point you're making, I think, is that there's nothing we can do about it. Is that your argument? Um, Very, very little. If if they can hack, if they can hack, I'm just going into the desktop there now of the Metropolitan Police Department. Don't name anybody, for goodness sake. Not at all. No, not at all. And there's over four or five hundred folders here all gang members in Washington. I have the security set up for Biden's inauguration um, as to where snipers will be. I have the names of every detective, every policeman. Right, right. right. And, and you can find all that through your own particular experience. I'm sitting on the phone here. I'm sitting on the phone outside the garage drinking a cup of coffee. I'm live on, here <laughs> on my phone. Um, Thank you. People think that the dark web, PJ, it's a misunderstanding. And there's an awful lot more fraud, you know. Well, to be fair, now, the, the, the best analogy I ever heard about the dark web, Stuart, and I'll, I leave it, and, and thanks for that a fascinating call, but the best I ever heard about the dark web was, you know the way they always said, thank you, Stuart, seriously, that's a great call. Um, and he does seem to know his stuff. 
imagine an iceberg, okay? We're always told that an iceberg is only the tip of it is poking out of the ocean. So if you take the iceberg that sank the Titanic, for example, there was only an eighth of it tipping out of the ocean. That the Googles and the Firefoxes and uh, every other browser that we use every day, Chrome, all those things that we use every day, Safari, they are only the tip. And sometimes they're only the snow or the frost on the tip of the iceberg of what really is there. But you need special access to get into them. And clearly through his working in IT for as long as he has, Stuart can find his way in. But there's everything in there. There's everything in there. And he's right about you. You can buy anything you want. Like you can t- It's mad. Mad, 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 mad. But his, his point is that we'll always be a step behind, no matter how hard we try. I wonder would Bruce Schneier agree with him that we'll always be a step behind, no matter how hard we try. Stuart said, yeah, back to, uh, oh yeah, back on to say, can you remind people to make sure they have secure passwords? It's very important. And also for every big hack of something like the HSE, there's countless smaller attacks on people just stealing commercial information and you mightn't even know it. Yeah, and I think we have um, Aidan down in IT in Aldbrook Street also wants to take a call from us at some stage during the week about stuff you can do, simple things you can do in your own home, at your own kitchen table to protect yourself. Thomas on Twitter says Stuart is talking out his hat because if you're at Windows 10, it's like letting the hackers know that you have uh, an alarm system on your house and they'll move to easier targets. You're only half right, Thomas. Windows 10 isn't exactly the, the boot and braces either. They'll get in through that too if they want to get in. 1850-715-996. Some developments on special needs education and getting places for children who need education. Uh, Fiona Corcoran has been at a news conference. I'll talk to her next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So, Fiona, you've been at this uh, news briefing this morning to do with special needs education. Tell us about it. Yes, PJ, that's right. These three parents that spoke to us today in the city centre have children who are pupils of the Cara Junior School which is up at Tinker's Cross on the north side of the city and they, when they're, their children just to kind of just, um, explain a little bit about the, the makeup school there's Cara Junior School and then there's Skull Traced which is um, considered a feeder school from Cara Junior School so I think these parents were all under the assumption that their children would um, just go straight to Skull Trace and that would be just a transition, an easy transition for them. But they've been told now that um, Skull Trace is full and there are no places for them in September when they're starting their secondary school uh, life. And they're now in a situation where they have no school place for their children. And um, 
they said that they've been given no kind of correspondence really as to where they go from here other than to be told that they're on a waiting list there's already uh, 30 people 30 children children on this waiting list it's kind of it tops up year on year and um they have the option of um, home tutoring, but they were saying that, um, you know, for their children, they're afraid that they will regress if that's um, the situation that they're going to be um, learning from home. And, um, you know, we heard there a couple of months, PJ, that would be a new school opened in Carrigal Line yes. for children with special needs. And they, but they haven't been told yet whether or not they're going to have a place in school either. And um, they were saying that, you know, they're in a situation now where there's children have no place come September and they don't really know where to go or what to do. Now they are taking um, what's called a Section 29 appeal and it's an appeal against the refusal um, and it's um, an appeal against the refusal to admit for reasons other than the school being oversubscribed through the Department of Education. So they're kind of waiting now to hear if um, how, the, how that will work out. It's not a very uh, common thing for parents to have to go through and I don't have the results on me about how many um, of those cases are a success, but that's where they are at the minute. And they had this press conference today to raise awareness of the issue and they also had a direct message for the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, to, you know, get in touch with them, to let them know what's going to happen. Are they going to have a place? They don't mind where the school is mm. as long as it caters for their children's needs, um, whether that be in Carrigaline, whether it be somewhere out in the county. You know, they said that as long as their children are being catered for. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's information. It, this is one this that stage. we've been following for quite some time, isn't it, Fiona, as an issue in that you've got so yeah. many parents whose children come to the end of primary school, need secondary school there isn't a place, there's no sign of a place now the Taoiseach then made the announcement, called us to make the announcement back in April I think a total of about 48 or 50 places between Carrigaline and Rochestown. but these these parents still have no idea where their youngster is going to go in September Yeah, um, and the um, the Carroll Junior School had been set up back in 2011 and because i um, the, and initially they had 30 pupils in six classes, but the need has increased so much that they now have 60 pupils in 10 classes. But you would imagine that because the number of children going into Skullcara has, in, or the Cara Junior School has increased so much that there would be an increase in places in Skulltraced as well. But um, it's under the patronage of Brothers of Charity and they have said that they haven't got the resources to increase the numbers going into that school. And um, the parents that I was talking to there today, they said that there have been 400 new diagnoses of children with autism in the last couple of months. Um, I'm not sure if that was in Cork or if that's in Ireland but because there's such an increase in the amount of referrals being made and the amount of um, children being diagnosed uh, you would imagine that they would have enough schools here yeah. to cater for it but well, it seems to be a yearly issue as well, you said and school Trist has been full and it's not today nor yesterday since it was full and oversubscribed <coughs> I remember trying to get my own boy in there and we eventually did mm. get him in but it took it took a while they just didn't have space so you you've been you've been speaking to, to them this morning let's let's have a listen to what they had to say Fiona keeps talking about I'll, I'll be going to a new school in September but where, where, where is he going we don't know where he's going to we're just like devastated all of us at home he has three big sisters and you know they, they went to a, from one school and they yeah, went they, to a diff- like they just progressed from, one, from primary school to secondary school they excelled in education and the kids that need the most help 
like Andy, are being left on the, the margins. He'll regress. He'll regress. He, he won't. He, he'll miss the opportunity to excel to the best of his ability because he needs structure. He needs. He needs support. He needs to be in routine, and he needs. He needs the social interaction of other children in a school environment. Oh, we are, I'm devastated because I can see Andy's potential and I can see it, how, how detrimental it will be for him if he doesn't get the access to education that he needs. It's really, really frustrating and makes us very angry because it's unfair. Our children are left to the wayside, as in there's nothing for them. So they're, 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 they're graduating from school on, on the 30th of June, but they're graduating to nowhere. They have nowhere to go. So now that's why we we went the route of a section 29. This hopefully will get us a place somewhere in the city where our kids can be educated. We don't mind what school we do. We don't mind. We'll travel to the county if we have to, but once our child gets our education, that's all we want. Well, we're being offered 20 hours homeschooling. 20 hours homeschooling with no social skills for our child. Like so, this is going to drive her backwards. She'll end up, you know. She, she is, she'll have no one to mix with so you, you can imagine uh, this is really 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 frustrating for us and we're really angry over it you know we've, we'll do whatever we have because we're the advocates for our children and we, we'll, we, if we have, we have to go further about it then we'll have to but hopefully this should get a result for us Kayla is very routine based so when she's going to school she has her day to day routine and her structure it really keeps her in good form and when she knows what she's going to do every day in school they have social stories um, so she knows what's coming up if she's at home I'm not going to be able to provide that structure for her I'm not going to be able to say sit down at the kitchen table there and do your homework do you know it just it just won't work at home for us. Something needs to be sorted. They made this big announcement of a school that was going to be set up and everything, yet not one of us parents has heard nothing back yet. Now, that was a couple of months ago, about two months approximately, and not one of us has been contacted yet, whether it be a phone call, an email or anything. Stress and worry I've had the last few months. I haven't slept. I've been constantly worried. I've cried myself to sleep. All this for a school place and for my child. It's just not fair. And they know what's going on, so they just need to tell us what's going on. A simple phone call, a simple letter, a simple email, just to say your child will attend X school and she will start there in September. That's all we want. Just confirmation of where our kids are going and if they have a place. That's not too much to ask, Fiona. The Hickeys are one of the couples you spoke to there. Now, we spoke to, yeah. to Mary Hickey a couple of times this year, and she was delighted after the announcement was made with regard to the extra places that Andy would get a place. But as of yet, no, in, no solid information from them. That is the situation. That's it, PJ. And I think when they when they heard that this school in Carrigaline was going to be opening that everybody thought that this was great that they were going to have a new school place and that they'd have a guaranteed place there but nobody has been on to them and I was speaking to Chris O'Leary there just after the press conference and he was saying that there's been no uh, confirmation as yet as to when that school um, like they've said that it's going to open in September but it doesn't seem like anybody's been informed yet as to whether their child will have a place there and there's like did he say to me there's 70 or 60 
68 um, pupils in, enrolled for it, but there's only 40 places. So it's still not going to cater for everyone on the waiting Is list. Is there any so, chance um, it might have been a bit of, a bit of a political announcement? Well, we wouldn't possibly y- say that, could we, Fiona? But... Well, we did ask the parents that and they very much felt that it was and yeah. that they're the ones that have been caught up in the whole thing now and their kids are the ones who are going to lose out, unfortunately. Okay, we'll follow this one up over the days and weeks to come. One of the families was with us on the opinion line a few months ago, Mary and Eugene Hickey, their son Angie, I know them well, Andy, I know them well, and they thought they were sorted with this announcement back around Easter time. They, they were convinced they were sorted. They're not sorted as of yet, so we'll follow this one with interest because once again, what is going on for these misfortunate children who just have a little bit of a difference, that's all they've got, a little bit of a difference. They don't have a third leg or they don't have two heads. They've got a little bit of a difference and they are entitled. When they go into primary school, they are entitled to be expecting to go to secondary school afterwards and it's still not sorted out uh, as they were promised it would. Very briefly... Talking earlier on about baby Zara, 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 21. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? you? Your, your granddaughter was born this year. She was born, yes, on the 4th of the 3rd, 21. Right. 4, 3, 2, 1. Right. And her time was 12, 34, 1, 2, 3, 4. Get away. Yeah. <laughs> so 4, 4th of the 3rd, 21, well, at 12, 1234. <laughs> I I hope that that's engraved on a little bracelet for her somewhere. Oh, it's engraved on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and her name is? Grace Elizabeth Tynan. And you're the very proud granny. I am very proud granny. She's beautiful, blonde, same as her father was. <laughs> and uh, But it was tough on them because they were in lockdown. Right. And they didn't get, like, <clears throat> we only got window visits uh, for the first few weeks. Yeah. But um, but all good now. Was able to meet, all good now. Thank God right. I was able to meet there a couple of weeks ago. So well, we our, our best to everybody. The time is a Guinness. But uh, congratulations, Granny, and the whole family. Born Grace Elizabeth Tynan, born on the fourth of the third, twenty-one at twelve thirty-four. I think that's a contender for the 21-21-21. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.